Hello, City of Champion listeners. Champion? We're singular now, no plural. City of Champions listeners, that's a mouthful. I'm thrilled to be back here with another episode of the podcast, and I sincerely apologize for the lengthy hiatus. I was off exploring the wonders down under. Uh, One of my best friends married an Australian gal whose family lives in Perth, uh, so the wedding was there, after which I decided to tour the rest of the area, so get a chance to see Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Gold Coast, Byron Bay, uh, before heading over to New Zealand to see Queenstown and Auckland. Uh, It's rare that I go to a place um, that leaves me with a burning desire to return. It's usually a matter of checking it off the list, but uh, New Zealand was definitely one of those places. And I don't know what it was precisely, uh, whether it was the people or the beauty of the country or just sort of the general likability of everything there and how easy it was and comfortable, Uh, but it really drew me in. And I also didn't get a chance to see the legendary All Blacks play a game of rugby, so that definitely remains a bucket list item for me. Anyhow, if you've forgotten, City of Champions is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Now, ATB recently started their own monthly podcast exploring Alberta's geography, their businesses and organization, and its diverse and fascinating people, all explored through a lens of economics. I'm reading this if you can't tell. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, I suggest checking it out at atb.com slash wearealberta. Now, getting back to my podcast, which is obviously why you're all here. Uh, my guest today is a man by the name of Aaron Flint. Aaron is a U of A grad who began his career as a game developer with Edmonton-based BioWare, who are producers of the hugely successful gaming franchises such as Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Now, Aaron recently made a move to a UK games tech startup by the name of Improbable and was named GM of the company's North American division, which is based right here in Edmonton. Our guy is a huge booster of the city and wants to see it prosper for generations to come, which is why he's involved with initiatives like Edmonton AI and also on the Computer Science Advisory Board at the U of A. Now, if you're a gamer or something in this episode intrigues you to know more, I suggest checking out fellow Alberta Podcast Network show titled Press Start to Join. On the show, Josh and Alan talk about video games, movies, TV, comics, Star Wars, and pretty much everything else. Uh, So I'll link that as well as the ATB podcast uh, in the episode's notes here. So after that extended introduction, I hope you enjoy my chat with the wickedly smart and thoughtful Aaron Flynn. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you coming out, taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. You've got a ton of interesting things going on. Um, Unbeknownst to me at the time when I reached out to you, you were about two days out from announcing a new um, career or new job, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was, uh, uh, I recall that when I got your email and I'm thinking to myself, uh, did you actually hear about where we had that? But it turned out, no, you were just kind enough to reach out. And uh, lo and behold, we announced uh, Improbable, a uh, UK tech startup investing in the city here. And uh, yeah, so we can talk about all that stuff. Whatever you're going to talk about, Shane, this is great. I, I just, 20 minutes ago, I figured that out because I went back and looked at our first email yeah. and then looked at the news, the press article when it announced it September 19th. And I reached out to you on the 17th, I think. So that was funny timing. Um, but you do a lot of different things um, and you're on several boards and you've been involved with great companies. 
Um, when you meet someone at a dinner party, what's sort of the, the elevator speech that you tell people that you're, that you do? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I guess, you know, I'm a big lover of technology. So, uh, I'm really fortunate that I, I got involved in technology about 20 years ago when I got my computing science degree at the U of A. And I've been fortunate enough to have a, have a finger or an eye on that, uh, ever since everything from a really cool gaming company at Bioware and learning a ton, enormous amount through the development of video games there, you know, all the way to more, um, uh, broad consumer facing, uh, you know, technology, things that affect health, things that affect, um, uh, you know, all sorts of entertainment broadly. Uh, and now with Improbable taking the, the broadest possible view of that, you know, creating software that is going to be hopefully there for, uh, you know, all sorts of different things at the end of the day, bringing, uh, you know, powerful cloud-based computing to uh, games in this case, but, you know, even other things too, is, uh, is I think the future or one of the futures. And so we get to, we get to do that right here at Edmonton. That's amazing. Now, um, when you were at U of A, I believe you did a, if my research serves me, you did a, a double major in computing science and genetics. That's right. Yeah. So I was in genetics uh, first. Um, I was a pre-med or figured I would be at least, uh, realized that, uh, that probably wasn't for me. And uh, my my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, she was doing her business degree, her BCom at the U of A. Uh, and then uh, she was actually, she uh, enrolled right after that to go into law school. So she graduated, had a summer off, was right in law school. And so when I was thinking about what I wanted to do in the future, uh, she said to me, you know, uh, you know, for, for someone who doesn't know what they want to do, you sure spend a lot of time uh, messing around with computers. And I was taking them apart and I was I was playing a lot of computer games. Uh, that was the time, this was the mid-90s, that was a time when a game called Doom had just come out, mm -hmm. uh, a game called Quake had just followed up with that. Uh, and there was a revolution in the gaming industry at that time around 3D. So gamers were beginning to look 3D and uh, a personal computer uh, and some really smart programmers could make a could make a game that, that looked reasonably 3D. Uh, and so I thought that was fascinating. I was blown away by how clever these people were, uh, certainly a lot smarter than I, I am and was. Uh, but my wife said, you know, the U of A has a wonderful comp sci program, why don't you just go re-enroll? And uh, she said she was gonna be there for another three years anyway, you know, might as well. So uh, I was lucky to have that support network around me. Uh, and so that's what I did. And then I did another <laughs> four years at the university uh, doing that. Uh, nice thing was, was, uh, they counted some of my options from genetics in as uh, for my comp sci degree, so it allowed me to take some other things. So I filled up my I filled up my school calendar with things like Japanese. I did that for two years, and I was terrible at it. And I did uh, see I did a lot of geology classes. Did that was fun. Um, did some history classes. Uh, so I became something of a. Uh, you know, just just dabbling in every little thing I could uh, mm -hmm. to fill my time up, and it was wonderful. It was like a liberal arts education. It was it was I really benefited a lot from it. Well, that that kind of makes sense because you know your interest in technology as a whole can permeate all sorts of different industries, every industry really, and every every discipline you could imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in those who don't study the past are doomed to repeat it. Uh, yeah, so just having an, an understanding of history and see trends and cycles in our in our societies and in the world certainly helps to understand where technology could go. For example, so yeah, I, it was a big. It was a very impactful time for me. And um, uh, when I when I graduated, I was lucky enough to have gotten to know a couple of folks who worked at Bioware, 
and they were kind enough to say, hey, well, if you want to come work here, why don't you come try it? Why don't you apply? Mm -hmm. So I applied. Uh, I got very lucky and had a good round of interviews and then found myself working there uh, even before school started. Oh, sorry, school ended. I was uh, I hadn't even graduated yet, and uh, they needed somebody to work on a game called Baldur's Gate 2, so I was doing tools development for Baldur's Gate 2 even before uh, I was officially graduated. So uh, I remember our founders, Ray and Greg, were kind enough to let me go do write my exams uh, in the middle of the day. So I'd say, hey, Ray and Greg, i got to go write my exams. And they'd say, okay, sure, just come on back. And I'd say, yeah, I'll be back. So and I did. I would study all night and, and do my best to get I don't think I cared even at that point what my grades were. I just right. was so happy, but uh, to have a job, uh, especially at Bioware. But uh, uh, yeah, so I did that, and then I've you know just kept working. Before the option uh, to work at Bioware came up, um, was it kind of a was it like a bold move to think that I'm going to have a job in computing science in the '90s? Oh yeah. So at the time, you know, I mean, computing science has been, excuse me, um, you know, it's been more back then. You know, it was associated with you know, kind of enterprise level work like banks and IT stuff. Nothing sexy. Well, <laughs> certainly a lot less of it, right? Yeah. Certainly, certainly a lot less, especially in Edmonton, right? I think we're very, we still owe Ray and Greg uh, a huge debt of gratitude in this city for founding Bioware here and for keeping it here for as long as they have and, and all their involvement um, because it, it, it gives people something to think about, something to dream about, right? Mm -hmm. and, and certainly we want to mimic a lot of that at our new venture. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. You know, I had imagined that I would go work at a bank. Uh, you know, here at Edmonton, I did interview with uh, Suncor at the time. Uh, they had up in, for Fort Mac, they had IT jobs and, and those kind of things related to the kind of stuff they did up there. They do a lot of data storage, a lot of that kind of thing. Um, and that's a that would have been a perfectly <laughs> perfectly good job too. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I had my when I realized about that Bioware, a game company, was here at Edmonton. I set my sights on it. And again, was just lucky enough to land the job. Yeah, gaming's kind of that in interesting industry where it's, there's you know people like me who played a ton of different video games when I was growing up. I was I grew up on the N sixty four, so oh, yeah. Legend of Zelda, GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, Mario Kart, Good those stuff, kind of yeah. things, all great stuff. So, but and that's really like that's really deeply cemented in my past. But other than when you know got into my twenties, I really only played like NHL for Xbox yeah. or PlayStation, yeah. uh, and have since come far away from the gaming world. Where now I'm hearing things like like Fortnite and mm -hmm. um, oh, I can't even I can't even remember all the other ones. What are the, the big Red multiplayer? Dead Redemption Two? Yeah, the big one right now. Um, Fallout seventy six just came out. Uh, Call of Duty, Battlefield. I mean, these are all the big the big games that come out. This is the this window here before the run up to Christmas is the big launch yeah. for all the biggest titles that come out now. Now, now are these are is the audience for these games just people like me, but who never kind of got away from gaming? Like my age, I was born in '88, right? So yeah, okay. Um, well, yeah, you know, it's funny. Like we, we, there are a lot of actually, believe it or not, there are a lot of statistics for Canadians playing games. There's a you know, the Entertainment Software Association for Canada has a, has a lot of really good statistics on, on how Canadians play games, for example. And uh, it's it's pretty universal. You know, there's there's not a broad gender discrepancy between who plays games. Um, the average age for gamers is, I think, uh, mid-30s, 34, 35, somewhere in there. Um, and, uh, but I think the thing to remember nowadays is because gaming is so ubiquitous, you can play on your phone, you can play mm -hmm. on your console, you can play on your PC. Um, play in a web browser, you know, whatever. Uh, it's it, it's not the same as it used to be where, 
you know, it was a specific and deliberate pastime. It still is for many people, and Your that's awesome. Basement, yeah, exactly. Isolated, that, right? that stereotype is 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 in the past right. nowadays, right? It's the that's the minority of how people uh, play and uh, interactive entertainment. Nowadays, um, it's as much something you do casually, something you do uh, with a couple friends every now and then, something mm-hmm. you will set appointments for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, now the one of the big revolutions with it is it something you you just watch and stream and enjoy you yeah know, on like twitch when, right? yeah on twitch exactly yeah. when you watch like league of legends the finals um uh you know the international for dota uh these are these are hugely hugely um enjoyed and and uh, participated in streams and and live events uh and and you know tens of millions of people around the world all, all appreciative they people show up live at, at stadium you know mm-hmm. i think for for the league uh final they get the Staples Center, right, in, in in Los Angeles, and they fill it up like it's an NBA game or something. It's amazing, right? And and I'm sure they still sell out super fast and yeah. still, you know, could put more people in if they if they had the capacity. So and the prize um, money is through the roof for some of these. It's tournaments. millions of dollars nowadays. Yeah, it's a viable yeah. career if it, you're one of the top players. No, it is. Yeah, you know, I think I saw a stat um, uh, a couple weeks ago in the in the National Post or whatever it is that said, uh, and I may get this wrong, but it's something to the effect of. Uh, Canadian esports players are are earning more than Canadian Olympic athletes, right? <laughs> um, and uh, part of that's you know it's it's a hot market right now. Right. Is that part of it's you know there's some there's a there's a, not much diversity in who's playing esports right now. There's a lot of diversity in who are Olympic athletes, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's a, it's just an incredibly uh, changing time for interactive entertainment right mm-hmm. now, and and there's opportunities for everybody in all sorts of ways that you know even in even 20 years in an industry is not that long that's roughly the length of my career in it and and to see so much change happen in this much time is just it's amazing to me it's uh well, amazing. well, your career is your 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 industry is based you know exponentially growing based on technology what is it, Moore's law right that every- yeah exactly so um you know the globally uh interactive interactive entertainment grows uh in double digit percentages every year yeah. i think it's 100 and going to be 130 billion dollar industry this year it'll be 150 billion next year it'll be 200 billion by 2020 2021 something like it's that just gonna eat like, the world yeah it's just gonna it's gonna keep going right and there's there's no signs of it stopping and there's a few reasons for that i think one because uh, economically, it's still a, a, a good a good bargain. You know, you can download a game for free on your phone typically mm-hmm. and, and play it. You may have to, you may be encouraged to monetize, but there's many ways you can you can play for free or for very inexpensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you buy a game for in Canada for your console for eighty dollars, for example, um, you're going to get, I would guess, at least eighty hours of entertainment out of that. Uh, if it's a good game and, and you can certainly choose those and there's tons of those out there so you're about a dollar an hour for entertainment if you think about you go see uh, you know Avengers Infinity War and that's probably going to cost you more like ten dollars an hour right mm-hmm. so so games with a lot of replayability and uh, and with big big expansive scope um, certainly offer a ton of value for what they what they uh, what they are um, you know, and then of course there's there's the chance to watch things for for, for relatively inexpensively or free. You, know, mm-hmm. you can stream things for free or for a very low cost. So so yeah, economically it's a really really um, it's really good value. That's mm-hmm. I think the the fundamental thing to remember about why interactive entertainment is so popular. Uh, secondly, though, is that nowadays especially it is so inherently social. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that you do with your friends and your colleagues, and you meet people through it, and you have all these things. 
Uh, and that's relatively new as well. You know, if you played, uh, I guess the best example would be when games were largely consumed uh, at the arcade. You could collectively go with your friends to the arcade, and you would play, and you would enjoy them that way. Uh, but then, uh, then they kind of they kind of went to your home. They went the next age of them was kind of in the home. You know, with like the original um, Super the original Nintendo Entertainment mm-hmm. System, Atari, those all those things in that generation. I, you know, if you were born '88 before your time, in some ways, uh, and uh, and that was those tended to be more solo experiences. Maybe you'd have friends over, maybe you wouldn't. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, you'd play on your home PC and by yourself again, back into that basement kind of a kind of a stereotype. Um, but now they've just blossomed out back again into this wonderfully social experience where you meet up with with friends, you play, you, you know, you play online, and you're connected to your friends, even if they're half around the world. You can still play that way, right? right. Certain experiences, at least. And, and that's that's amazing to me. Games are uh, can be a very unifying um, unifying form of entertainment that, that brings people together. It's um, and you're seeing now. I don't know if you notice because you've got a family and, and I don't know how many bars you're frequenting these days. But um, <laughs> less than I used to. There's a uh, there's a kind of a, a res- not a, a not a new surge, but a resurgence of uh, video game bars. So in in town we've got Beercade. One just opened up in Calgary called Greta Bar, and they've got all these awesome arcade games where you can load your card up and get tokens and, That's and awesome. go play, have fun, and yeah. it's kind of like the anti like be in your parents' basement. But yeah. but you've got that, and you've got the multiplayer like network effect of being able to connect with the world. And so I think that's that's really interesting. Is a point that you make that it is driven by that social element. Yeah, definitely. You know, there it's a it's a social experience that happens to be about games, rather than games that are that have a social component to them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you you choose to go do that with your friends or family, whatever it might be. Uh, we did that at the uh, at uh, is it what is it, Ed's Rec Room here in town? Is it, they got a big thing over at West Edmonton Mall. We were there and it was I think it's just my, called the Rec Room. The Rec Room, the yeah, new spot, it, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, you're right. The new one's just called the Rec Room. And so it was my nephew's uh, birthday. He wanted to go there. We all showed up, grandma, grandpa, mm-hmm. uh, me, 44 years old, my wife, uh, our two sons, uh, niece, nephew, uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law. <laughs> and we all just, you know, wandered around. And it was, again, good value, right? We mm-hmm. played games, got load up our cards, played, played, played. Mm-hmm. There about two hours, had some pizza, and you know, at the end of the day, it was a, was a fun fun way to have a birthday party, right? That and sounds so, like an awesome was, day. Yeah, yeah. And we all just kind of broke up and we came back together and did stuff. So yeah, it was a it was a really cool time. And uh, games were were just the kind of the the thing that drew us in, but it was still ultimately a family and social experience, right? right. Same as a board game, same as going yeah. to the pool, whatever. It's yeah. it's the same idea. Yeah, exactly. Are there any tangible? I mean, you you're you're probably deep into the research and and kind of psychology behind games at this point. Is there any tangible positive benefits derived from from video game playing on any platform specifically? Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, totally up to speed with the latest on this stuff, um, but I have seen reports that do talk about the positive benefits. Um, one thing I haven't read, or would, or at least I'd be very curious about myself, would be uh, this this social element. Now, what what kinds of social um, improvements can we see through teams and through uh, people who play together? Do we see more positive social interaction? Do we see perhaps we see more negative social interaction? I wouldn't think so, at least not in aggregate. Um, but I'd love to see that research myself. Um, I've heard anecdotally through the years that there's. There's benefits to everything from hand-eye coordination to to uh, certain other things, uh, but I would like to see a, a really fulsome report done on that to see what it is. And it'd be a good time to do it too, given mm-hmm. you know how many how many young folks nowadays, well, people all ages, I guess, play Fortnite, for example. That's mm-hmm. 
you know a phenomenon like a few others uh, and so it'd be uh, it'd be a good time to do the research and see uh, just what benefits yeah. it offers you, you've got to imagine there has to be I mean just by nature of the problem-solving um, complexities of certain games and and the uh, the cooperative effort in some of them like I'm sure it's got to have positive impact yeah I agree there's got to be some positive benefit there you know sometimes you hear the negative benefits too you hear about you know I, I, I personally chalk that up more to less the consequences of game playing or less the medium of game playing and more um, the reality of what happens when people are anonymous mm. uh, online. You know, there's, a, there's a certain there's a certain dark dark side to the internet about that kind of thing. Um, but my my gut tells me, based on my own experiences and interactions, uh, is that the majority of that is because of a certain anonymity that the internet affords, mm-hmm. um, and and not so much the medium of interactive entertainment. Mm-hmm. It expresses itself through that because that's that's uh, that's what it is at that at that moment. But you know, unfortunately, you let people be anonymous on the internet, and they they become uh, so it brings us some of the worst in some people. Yeah. Um, and I know that happens in the in the game playing communities too. Uh, but I gotta believe to your point that the the act of playing a game, especially one uh, with your friends and 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 with those who you have a mutual goal with, should should have a positive reinforcing experience over time at least but that's a that's a hypothesis i guess <laughs> yeah exactly i mean biologically speaking we're not really wired to deal with strangers all that much right like you've got your sort of in group and then you've got conflict but you know it's it's you know rarely are you ever dealing never in natural life would you ever deal in a circumstance where you're not seeing the person face to face because a face to face interaction you're never going to get those same like you know, yeah. uh, insults thrown and profanities. It's like people have, like you said, the shroud of anonymity yeah. that just allows the worst to come out of people. Yeah, it's true. You no know, consequences, I guess, is the, probably the best way to put it. I think it's what it is. You know, there's a there's a, a regrettable dehumanization that, mm-hmm. that happens in those situations. And, you know, hopefully... Um, Would it ever be possible to mediate that? Like similar to like when you've got a CB radio out on the water, like you can't just get on there and start swearing at other boats. Like the you get monitored, you can get fined. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly uh, the those larger uh, uh, games companies, whether they're a company or a publisher like Microsoft or Sony, uh, they do have very strict policies around that kind of thing. Okay. And, and abusive behavior is not allowed. I know if you play League of Legends and you're and you're accused of abusive behavior. It's a it's a it's a non-starter. You'll be banned. You'll oh, be that's kicked good. out. You'll be punished. And I think that's exactly correct, right? You, we should we should have those kinds of mm-hmm. uh, expectations of people. Those those reasonable expectations. It's not it's not a lot to ask somebody to not be abusive yeah. in, in some sort of medium. Uh, and so I think those will they will continue to improve over time, and they'll continue to to set new norms which mm-hmm. are which are better and healthier for everybody. And, you know, and that should be again another positive uh, feedback loop for gaming overall and encourage more people to play because they know it's it's gets safer and safer to do so it's inclusive yeah. yeah and it's context too right the more people play it the right way and behave the right way that'll just inspire other people to do the same and the less the more you cut out that inappropriate behavior it, it becomes more inappropriate to people yeah and then and then you know pretty soon it feels like that's the strange thing that we yeah. should be reacting to not this sort of yeah everybody kind of talks like that it's like yeah. no no we can't <laughs> we shouldn't have that right yeah, yeah. um so now with the move to Improbable, are, would you say you're focused more on the game platform developing versus individual game developing? Yeah, absolutely. So our current plan is that uh, we have this amazing piece of technology called Spatial OS, which is published, which is out there, and you can download it uh, or download access to it at least now. It all runs in the in the cloud. It's all kind of out there on the internet running right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty weird paradigm in some ways. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, so our goal here at Edmonton is we're very uh, we've got some wonderful, experienced game developers who are on board with us, and we're hiring more and more every day and every week. Uh, and we are going to build uh, hopefully what is very very strong content to put on top of that platform to really show it off. So we call it demonstrative content, um, which will really help people understand what this platform is capable of. Mm -hmm. You know, when when you've got a laptop there, Shane, when you think about historically a game running on your on your laptop only has the the processing power of that laptop mm -hmm. to do all of the work necessary, right? You've got a CPU in there, a central processor, you've got a GPU for graphics. And that's and that's it, and and you've got a, a game developer has to know just how much uh, power they've got there, and has to build their experience to to you know take the most advantage of that possible, but but can't go beyond that. Uh, with Spatial OS, uh, you actually have uh, much more compute uh, available to you because we can engineer the the experience in a way such that a bunch of the compute is done out in the cloud, it's mm -hmm. done on these servers that exist around the world, and the results are certainly sent back to you. Uh, very quickly via the internet, but but you are not limited anymore to what's what's on your uh, you know three and a half four pound laptop. There right. you actually have you know vastly more resources to do things, and so that's the, really interesting because we don't we don't honestly even know what that means for what we can do with games just quite yet. We're in a very exploratory phase with that right now. We're really okay. uh, challenging ourselves. What would we do with more? Uh, processing power and more uh, computational power out there, um, and uh, and and how could we improve uh, interactive entertainment based on that? Mm -hmm. So the bottleneck then really is your internet connection. Uh, yeah. So um, we we have some optimizations there to do. For example, we don't. There's another form of this uh, which is called uh, streaming, and in streaming, uh, you actually run the entire experience out there on the cloud and then you're getting video frames back so much like netflix is oh, okay you know netflix is you this is it doesn't work this way but you can imagine mm -hmm. that imagine when you when you queue up a a show on netflix mm -hmm. imagine instead of putting the blu-ray into your blu-ray player mm -hmm. underneath your tv there's a blu-ray being loaded up you know 500,000 kilometers away mm -hmm. and then it's being streamed to you like that doesn't quite work that way but right. we'll use that as a metaphor yeah <laughs> um and so so you can imagine that that then yes the Blu-ray player is way over there, mm -hmm. and you're just getting a video feed yeah. over instead of a six-foot HDMI cable over a 500-kilometer-long internet cable yeah. uh, to your to your house. Uh, and we know that that's been revolutionary. We can do the same thing with games. We can have these computers um, effectively hosted or run a long ways away, and then you can get the same video streaming output mm -hmm. with that. Um, you are absolutely limited by your internet bandwidth. You have to have very high internet bandwidth uh, to run those services. Uh, although it's getting more and more common and popular, which is good, um, but at the same time, the the computer that's running that experience for you is really, other than some, it's really designed to be effectively the same as your laptop there okay. or your or a home PC. Um, it's not configured that way, but effectively, they provision and they build out little machines all over the place. They do it virtually, but they do all that, and then you get the use of one of those while you play your experience. Um, if you've got a good internet connection, if you've got those, uh, if you've got uh, you know a nice screen, you'll get great, you'll get great, um, uh, a great view into the game, and you'll play it, and you'll probably barely notice that you're streaming it uh, from right. so far away. Uh, with Spatial OS, though, it's a little different. So with Spatial OS, uh, we could do that as well. That's that's thing, but uh, we really specialize in adding to the overall computational um, uh, abilities of the game experience itself. So. 
the three things we talk about are simulation, persistence, and scale. So a simulation, we could, for example, rather than give you a static uh, forest you're running through, we could actually have that forest growing over time. We could we could add the ability to chop trees down, mm -hmm. and the trees are getting chopped down, and we can handle that extra compute power that normally wouldn't uh, your your little CPU there isn't enough to do. Um, with scale, uh, you know, Fortnite, the most popular game in the world right now, is uh, is a hundred players on it. You know, we have the potential to go much larger than that. Uh, we're helping support a game, uh, not Edmonton, but the London office is helping to support a game. In uh, built out of the UK called Mavericks, and Mavericks is a thousand players uh, battle royale, not just a hundred, a thousand, and that's because all the computational work done to to handle the extra nine hundred players is facilitated by the cloud in this case. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, uh, persistence. Uh, you know, we can do a lot of amazing things where when you play it, when you play a game right now, typically the world freezes when you shut your laptop off and open back up, and it's back on again. Mm -hmm. 24, 48 hours a week later, uh, we can actually keep that world running uh, in the cloud and keep it evolving, keep it changing. Other players can join it because they can leave. Mm -hmm. And so you get a much more dynamic feeling world in a world that has uh, more consequence to it right. and more um, more potential for the future. And so those are the sort of three big buckets we think about the power of, of uh, these this kind of system mm -hmm. uh, affords. And now as game developers, we have to think of really interesting ways to present that to players and present that such that people can say, oh, now I really get what that means. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. And so our job is to build uh, experiences that really show those things off. So you're kind of, you're showing people several different doors and options and you're saying, hey, here's 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 a, a spot you could go and run with this technology. Like, exactly. Give them kind of like a, a little bit of a concept and then let their imaginations yeah. take it. And then, uh, you know, our business model for, for Improbable is to, uh, for other game developers to adopt Spatial OS and use it as part of their toolkit mm -hmm. when they release games. And so, uh, you know, a Ubisoft in Montreal, for example, uh, they could, they would hopefully see the content we make and say, oh, we could use that for Assassin's Creed, for example, whatever it might be, for example. Because oh, you're not in competition with other um, developers. You're exactly right, Shane. We are there, we're a tool maker and we're there to facilitate them, them creating amazing experiences themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and nothing would make me happier than to see the content that we create uh, spark in the imagination other developers in the industry who would then go and adopt Spatial OS and use it for, for their own interesting things, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the amazing thing is, is it feels like we're at the cusp of something here that is uh, new and, and potentially revolutionary. And yeah, I think it's great. We don't need to own everything that everyone does far from it. We just want to provide the platform that makes these things possible. Yeah. It's interesting how your career is kind of following parallel to, to any other career in which you, you learn and then you start doing and then you start teaching others how to do. Yeah. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I never thought of that way, Shane. Yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah. Like now I'm, now my job is more to teach others what's possible. And I'm learning a bit, uh, well, learning a lot about that myself now with these other folks who are in our team and we're experimenting and, and messing around with this stuff learning a ton and then yeah you're right we have to now go out and teach others uh probably next year what's what's really really possible with this platform and early on i can say the early results are extremely encouraging it's uh it's remarkable what you can do and it's uh, it's so gratifying to learn new things and to try these new things and see that again back to your first point about technology technology is such a wonderful enabler of these new possibilities it's just it's amazing 
Now, another big initiative you're involved in is Edmonton AI. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of how that got started? Yeah, so I mean, uh, Edmonton has a huge, long and, and rich history in artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't don't think about, you know, with, with Edmonton uh, and it's a... Uh, and I guess maybe why would you on the outside, you know? The average person, yeah. if I can call myself an yeah. average person, yeah. yeah, had no idea until I started no. looking into it in preparation to speak with you. But, you know, it's just, it's not something you'd think. You'd think Edmonton, you think sports and oil and winter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I would argue that, that AI is probably, you know, fourth or fifth after those things at the mm-hmm. end of the day when you realize just how rich the heritage is and, and how impactful the work done on artificial intelligence uh, in Edmonton has been to the rest of the uh, of the artificial intelligence uh, researchers and community in the world, and, and therefore now the world itself. Right? We know that AI is is probably the greatest technology revolution coming, mm-hmm. uh, probably after the computer itself, maybe after the internet, uh, and uh, and so this is the big one, and and so and Edmonton has been. Uh, it, Edmonton has its fingerprints on the history of AI, like like very few other cities have. It's remarkable. Uh, much of it uh, goes to uh, the credit goes to uh, Dr. Jonathan Schaefer, who was the uh, researcher who built Chinook, which was the uh, computer that played um, Marion Tinsley for the World uh, Checkers Championship back. In, I think it was '92 they did that. 1992, uh, and it was actually, uh, funnily enough. It was actually, this is before Kasparov and Deep Blue, Deep Blue played in 96 or 97, mm-hmm. I guess it was. Um, and uh, But what's interesting about the Tinsley and Schnook match was uh, Tinsley, who was a uh, minister and uh, a mathematician, he actually agreed at the time that uh, the championship game they played would be for the championship. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an exhibition match. It wasn't a. It wasn't sort of. Ah, oh, we'll just do it and see what happens. Right. He actually agreed to put the to put the World Checkers Championship <laughs> and the the governing body for checkers agreed to, to put it on there. And so yeah. you know, I, I mean, nowadays you know, I don't know that any athlete or any any game player like that would agree to that kind of thing because they'd probably say, well, let's understand. You know, I don't I don't want to lose. You know, but it was a, effectively a super fight, right? right? It would be with these these guys going at it. And uh, and it was remarkable, um, you know. Actually, Schaefer, Dr. Schaefer wrote a book on it, and it's a wonderful read. It's a it's an amazing story uh, of uh, of just you know an incredibly human story about this this genius Marion Tinsley, who was he he was arguably the most dominant game player in the history of games over his forty year professional career. He lost four checkers matches. And this was Tinsley. Tinsley, yeah. yeah. And if you think about you think about anybody, uh, you you just can't think of anybody else who plays a game, a sport, no. whatever it might be, and who's that dominant, mm-hmm. right? You know, hundreds of matches a year, uh, and and they just keep winning. They just how do you start beating. at that level? Like, how do you not lose some, and then slowly well, your win rate starts to go up it, over time? Exactly. How do how do other people not come into the not come into the game and mm-hmm. and begin to have different techniques and different approaches that beat you? You know, he he arguably just somehow mentally had mastered the game of checkers. He was seeing it a different way. Obviously. Exactly, so seeing it a completely different way that no one else. I, I guess. I mean. Dr. Schaefer would know better than I would, but um, that no one arguably ever or since has been able to do, right? Um, and so, so yeah, so they, they played this game in 92. They played this, this series of matches in 92. And uh, 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 Tinsley actually had to withdraw 
uh, because of, of an illness, and he actually passed away only nine months later. Uh, oh, but shit. because of that withdrawal, uh, Chinook was awarded the championship. He was, it was, and and I think Dr. Schaefer will tell you nowadays uh, that uh, that's still one of his great one of his great heartaches in life is that you know he didn't actually get to get to beat him. You know he won because of this withdrawal. Oh, okay, but, um, but he the Chinook was winning. but Chinook was late was named the yeah sh- yeah I can't remember what the actual score was. I have to look it up. They Chinook had beaten him. Chinook handed him his fifth and sixth ever losses in checkers <laughs> as a crash checks player. I think yeah. it was two he lost. Uh, but they'd actually held their own. They jockeyed back and forth. And, mm. and uh, the story was that, uh, you know, Schaefer and his team were, were working on Chinook all night and bringing it back the next day. Right. And Tinsley was probably studying layouts of checkers pieces, I guess. And so so in the same way, Aaron, like between chess and then, uh, and then was it Deep Blue one mm. in che- uh, chess? Sorry, checkers and then Deep Blue one in chess. Yep. And yeah. then there was another computer that won in the game, the Chinese game of Go. That's right, right? yeah. So so interestingly, so here's how the story goes, right? So Schaefer, Schaefer has, has Chinook built here in Edmonton. Uh, and then uh, Deep Blue gets built by, by folks at IBM. Uh, and one of the, I think the lead uh, developer on it was a fellow named Murray Campbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a U of A grad. He yep. graduated from the U of A. Yep. Um, I think he did uh, his undergrad and his master's uh, at the U of A uh, in CompSci. Uh, then fast forward uh, almost twenty years to when um, to when uh, AlphaGo uh, plays uh, Lisa Dahl in, for the Go Championships, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, David Silver, uh, who was the lead developer at DeepMind at the time, uh, he is still there. Uh, he did his uh, PhD at the U of A. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aja Huang, who was the fellow who worked on the project as well, and he was actually the one who sat across from Lisa Dahl and would place the goal pieces. Oh, he yeah. did. He did his postdoc here at the U of A. Okay. Uh, the U of A just has attracted yeah. just these remarkable, um, these remarkable individuals and remarkable researchers. Uh, you know that work touches on the work of Dr. Rich Sutton. You know the the father or grandfather of reinforcement learning, depending mm-hmm. on where you think this all is nowadays. Um, you know. Uh, uh, Martin Mueller, uh, just there's so many uh, amazing individuals who've contributed to, uh, Michael Bowling uh, mm-hmm. contributed to the current state of artificial intelligence research, especially in the area of uh, deep learning and reinforcement learning. So explain to me, so those games, in my mind at least, get progressively more challenging, like chess is more uh, ch- uh, complex than checkers, Exactly. Go yeah. is more complex than chess. Exactly. But why was it such a, a, a breakthrough um, at the time to me, it like to me, it seems like if you're going to design a computer to beat a human being, all you would do is just program in every single possibility of every move. <laughs> is that yeah. am I seeing it way too oversimplistically, uh, or what? What was so groundbreaking about that? Yeah, about so beaten. So, so my understanding is, and, and and there's probably going to be some podcast listeners who are going to tell me I got this all wrong. And so, in which case, just just message me. I, I don't know I, if my I, audience is I, this high, bro. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd have to be corrected. This up, but right. but so the traditional way of of solving uh, a game. Um, uh, like uh, like chess uh, checkers and then chess mm-hmm. was through a a set of approach called search okay which is what you say you you ultimately program in as many possible states as you can mm-hmm. and then the the computer analyzes the board says okay what does this look like search from this board to a possible end state yeah. as far as I can search which takes a lot of computing power uh, and then and then move my pieces such that they move us towards the the end result where I'm winning. Uh, and if and as my opponent plays, research again, you know, get back to one of those win states. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I play the thing that moves us closer to that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and that works for for checkers, and it it worked for chess um, because 
even as compared to Alpha to Go as a game, mm-hmm. they have a fraction of the possible states. You know, a, 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 like a I'm going to get this wrong, but it's it's a millionth of a millionth of a number of the possible states gotcha. of of that. It's it's so it's orders of magnitude less. Okay. Um, when when AlphaGo came along, uh, it used an entirely different technique underpinning it, which was reinforcement learning, which is the idea that over time the computer through what's called training data or or um, or example uh, states is going to learn the rules and learn uh, what what good looks like for lack of a better term and then eventually play the moves that are smart moves and good mm-hmm. moves in a more you know again a more human-esque kind of kind of a look and feel to it right it's not it doesn't know all the possible states right that that would be how yeah. we would learn the game right yeah you play we, and you learn yeah and you we learn through patterns exactly we learn it through through mm-hmm. understanding and, and and doing these things and that's much more how uh how AlphaGo did it and then over time AlphaGo became AlphaGo zero which became alpha zero uh to where uh, that algorithm has improved, and now actually the, the, the there's a version. It, it's very Terminator-esque, right? Uh, uh, AlphaGo beat Lee Sedol, uh, and that was you know monumental. And then uh, I think less than a year later, they came up with AlphaGo Zero, which was a version of AlphaGo that beat the original AlphaGo that beat Lee Sedol, uh, and and it had it had trained by playing uh, the original AlphaGo. So it, it, it played against them, you know, yeah. just back and forth, back and forth, super fast. Uh, and then they actually came up with something called Alpha Zero. Uh, uh, no, what was the AlphaGo Prime, was it? I can't remember the name of it, but the most recent one literally did not know the the the, uh, the rules of, of Go at all. It mm-hmm. literally started from, it's a board and, and I place things down. All right, <laughs> let's play. And it learned that, and then it skyrocketed Past the original AlphaGo <laughs> that beat Lisa Dell in 24 hours. What, what was different about that compared to other uh, previous iterations of it? Was it just more computing power? Uh, you know, I don't know on that side of things. Likely, I would I would guess. Um, but the the software was getting more and more sophisticated, such that they had to they had to give it less and less information. It was right. observing more and learning more from from more and more fundamental principles and mm-hmm. and and that. And so. And that's where the software sits today, or at least publicly. Mm-hmm. And and it's a remarkable achievement in in artificial intelligence. Just an absolutely groundbreaking, um, groundbreaking. And that's why the founder of DeepMind, Demis Hassabus, he's been to Edmonton on several occasions. He's DeepMind has an office here yeah. uh, because there's just so much really good uh, thinking. Pardon the pun. Uh, about about this 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 area here in Edmonton. Yeah, we kind of got off the rails a little bit, and I know you don't have a ton of time, but there's a yeah. few things that I, w- I want to touch on before you have to go. Um, but we were talking about Edmonton AI, yeah, and that initiative, and I believe the stated goal is to have a hundred companies um, utilizing. And before we go down there, yeah. maybe quickly tell us the difference between AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, because they're kind of used interchangeably in some cases. Yeah, so so AI is is generally the, the broadest term mm-hmm. um, and it encompasses a lot of different techniques in there machine learning is a very is a, is a more focused set of um, uh, of algorithms and approaches that you use to yeah. do that specifically around the idea of 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 teaching a machine how to do something and starting with mm-hmm. with the machine understanding some principles and then having it educate itself and learn that's where you get and within that you've got deep learning you've got um, reinforcement learning you've got um, these things would that uh, would uh, um, uh, like large data analysis would that be machine learning 
Uh, depends what you're doing with it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, certainly, machine learning generally requires the analysis of large data, large data sets. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if I wanted to know the precursors to certain, you know, heart um, heart diseases or you know any type of disease, like if it was analyzing a broad broad set of data across you know many different populations, that would kind of be a form of machine learning. Yeah, certainly a form of AI. What okay. the AI would look for patterns within that would be able to identify patterns. That, that you just wouldn't be able to to see right. because of subtleties or because you just can't do the math in your head that, that mm -hmm. much. So uh, yeah, I mean, we take a very, uh, you know, our, our kind of the, the folks supporting this, we take a very broad view of this, right? We, we don't, we're not too worried about any one specific thing. We just want lots and lots of, and it's hundred projects in two years. Mm -hmm. We want to support and, and see a hundred really interesting projects, corporate projects, um, you know, startups, um, uh, university projects that might be really kick off and embrace this. And so mm -hmm. anything we can do to facilitate that and keep it going, uh, we, we try to do. So what would be an example of an industry or two that have already been massively impacted by AI? Oh, uh, well, uh, you can't... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, you're, if you have an Alexa or a Google Home, mm -hmm. uh, that's all AI. Mm -hmm. uh, Siri is AI okay. on your thing. Um, you can't, you likely can't, uh, you know, go to your web browser and, and type something in and that data is not being fed into some sort of, uh, you know, algorithm on the back end, some sort of net neural network that's thinking about things and, mm -hmm. and getting a different, a slightly modified picture of you depending on what you're, being. yeah, um, some of it, you know, as I as I say, some of it is very uh, out there. You know, and you, you ask, uh, you know, okay, Google, you know, what's this? That natural language processing is happening. You know, as it as it f builds a, a, a text string back to you and says that that's all done mm -hmm. via machine learning okay. um, to do that kind of thing. Uh, and then some is very subtle. Some is just happening when you type a search term into Google, and uh, I'm sure that that then that's being fed in somewhere, and you're never seeing it, never really knowing. Right. Um, but that's a and I'd say that Facebook would be doing the same thing for sure. To me, the end game of those sort of personal cons um, uh, personal assistants seems to be where you're able to say, like, in just natural language, like, "Hey, who is the who is that guy in that movie who played the president with Robert Downey Jr.?" Yep. So, and yep. then it's just it's so yep. it's so intuitive and contextually able to pick up what you're meaning, or like. Yep. Hey, remind yeah. me when I hit, um, you know, Jasper and 109th that I need to pick up, or just remind yeah. me to pick up um, yeah. steak tonight. And it reminds yeah. me yeah. when I'm driving by yeah. the store. You're those are two very good use cases and they would exactly be what what, uh, what AI would be perfect for, for mm -hmm. sure, yeah. Yeah, again, a very intuitive uh, interface. Uh, you know, as you say, like you can give it the basics of a question mm -hmm. and it's gonna piece in the rest and, and be able to do the work that says, well, it, it, the movies with Robert Downey are this, this, mm -hmm. and therefore this other guy, how many other guys in them? Well, probably the same number, but then it just can do right. all that work for you. Uh, and uh, and then as you say, like, you know, remind me to pick up steak on the way home. It's got a map of the, it's got a map of the city. It knows where steak is sold. Right. So it's able to, to track and then say, uh, yeah, you know, there's steak within a kilometer mm -hmm. chain. Did you want to, you know, and this there? and it's on sale over here. Yeah, so well, you even that, alter right? your route home. Absolutely, even that. It can say, hey, you know, that there's a, you know, steaks on sale at uh, Save On, and it's only an extra block away. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go to that? Yeah, all those recommendation things, recommendations are a big part of AI nowadays too. All that kind of stuff is mm -hmm. is uh, certainly feasible. I don't know, I, I don't know where it's at in terms of um, implementation, mm -hmm. but certainly all of that is is 
Yes, if it's not here yet, it's coming for sure. Right. Well, I'm from yeah. a generation where like yeah. nothing seems impossible anymore. Like if there's yeah. something outrageous and wild, it just seems yeah. like, oh yeah, I'm sure someone's working on that. And it, it'll get figured out eventually where Absolutely, you, yeah. you hear tons yeah. of people say, I never thought yeah. I'd see the day where we had this. It's like, I legitimately don't know where the edge of that I never thought begins. Like I never thought I'd see. Yeah, that's that's amazing, Shane. And and that's, uh, that's very insightful. Uh, yeah, and it's not gonna stop. Mm -hmm. um, you know that's that momentum is just going to keep coming and keep coming you're going to see more and more stuff that uh, is exactly as you described there that's seemingly impossible mm -hmm. uh you know just a few years ago and is now extremely common so with edmonton ai um quickly what what services do you offer and where can people find you guys to, to take take advantage of those services yeah everything from uh, mentoring to funding services you know we we help uh connect those things to happen uh, and so happy to, to talk about those things, happy to, to brainstorm what's possible. Uh, you know, we don't have to even be involved in every project. You know, it's really just about keeping the profile of our city high. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had plenty of chats with folks who've, who've uh, heard about Edmonton and the AI scene and just want to know more about, about what's, what's going on. So we just connect people that way too. Uh, so any of those things we're happy to do. Um, uh, just again, hope to see a hundred really interesting things about AI done uh, here in the city and, and, and keep that momentum going. So what what is it about Edmonton that, that you're such a big fan of? And uh, and then lastly, sort of, you know, what do you want your ultimate legacy to be on this city? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me today when it's seven degrees outside in late November, <laughs> uh, uh, you know. I, we had uh, some people visit from London uh, in mid-September and we had that freak snowstorm, remember, in mid-September. And I was just... I was just hanging my head. I was like, come on, city. What are you doing to me here? You're supposed people? to embrace it. You're supposed to go like, yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're yeah. sturdy northern people. Yeah. You know, I, I, can, I do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, one thing I've, I've come to realize is we have to stop uh, being apologetic for the weather. It's haha, yes, very funny. Uh, but we, we just have to just, you know, look past it and be about these other things too. But you know, on days like that, when it's certainly harder to do that, it's uh, it's uh, it can be tough. But on days like today, it's amazing, right? You know, I'm going to try to go for a run tonight and mm -hmm. just enjoy the fresh, crisp air uh, and do that kind of thing. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a uh, uh, I do love the city. Try as she might to to make me not love her on days when it's freezing. Uh, I don't know. I moved out here when I was 17. I grew up in southern Ontario, in Windsor, uh, Ontario, and then uh, the Toronto area, Mississauga and Oakville. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I guess I just got here at a time in my life when I was, you know, I'd moved around a lot as a kid. I got here kind of seeking, you know, I hadn't really found the place that I felt like I belonged, I guess. and. And uh, I don't think I got here and thought this is this is where I belong or anything. But then I met my my uh, wife in high school, and uh, we're raising our kids here. And I don't know. It, it just maybe a fair thing to say is it kind of crept up on me how much I, <laughs> I enjoy the city. And yeah. and I certainly try to do and my family try to do lots of things on the city. Love the River Valley. Uh, love uh, Elk Island Park. Love the mountains four hours away. Uh, love uh, you know doing some boating around some of the lakes in the in the summertime um, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. Try and take advantage of it. Though definitely winter sports too, obviously, like do some snowshoeing, do some cross country skiing, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I just realized it just kind of crept up on me. I just there were things about you know when it was really cold though, we'd have these minus thirty, minus forty days. And I think I kind of stoically appreciated that other people were there with me in this. Mm-hmm. It became, you know, kind of a strangely uh, shared bonding experience, everybody going through that. And, and, you know, you don't have, I guess you have something different in a place like Los Angeles or somewhere where the weather is nearly perfect all the time. Yeah, I think that is a big part of it. I think uh, that a lot of people don't realize, despite the fact that they might outwardly say they, they lament the, the winter. Um, I think going through that shared experience of, you know, let's keep it in perspective, but it is a pain in the ass to go through this sure, tough yeah. winter that's yeah. seven months a year. Yeah. But there's something about that that builds yeah. community, builds certainly builds fortitude, and, yeah. and um, you know, I think there's something to be said about that. Yeah, it's funny. I got to go to Helsinki, Finland. Uh, Love Helsinki. In, yeah, I've only been, I went this, this I was there 36 hours mm-hmm. uh, with uh, uh, doing some work there. And um, I got to know some Finns, uh, uh, just in the in the time I was there, and we had a great dinner and great conversation at, at the over some drinks about you know just Helsinki is five hundred miles further north than Edmonton, yeah. right? And so you think, okay, well, if you know how bad do we have it if these guys are friends? <laughs> but then you know to your point about this, what do they do? They they go to the sauna, right? Yeah. They they hit all they do all sorts of winter things, mm-hmm. right? And they just to your point, they embrace it. It's just. They're and proud of it, like, and they're, they're proud of it. Yeah, really proud. They don't apologize more, for it. They don't. It's it's not about that. It's just hey, let's let's let's. They make them. They they they're make it their own. Water though, and we're not. Yeah, on I know. It's it's not there. quite apples to apples. Yeah. I know. And even when I landed there, it was still greener there than it was. It's here. like Vancouver there, like a farther yeah. north thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. It's. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed the city, and uh, yeah, I just think the more we can just just hey, look, it is what it is don't worry about it there's all mm-hmm. sorts of things that are amazing about this city mm-hmm. let's focus on those i think yeah then then it just we're just uh we're just doing ourselves a a, a favor if we do that we're doing ourselves a service and and what do you hope to you know what do you want your lasting legacy to be on this city oh god uh you know i don't know i mean i guess i guess i i'd like i'd like our city to have a little more confidence in in what it what it is and what it can be you know, I, I like when I hear Mayor Iveson talk about that. I like when he holds businesses' feet to the fire to say, "Come on, people, let's 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 do things for the good of our communities and let's do things." I think that's a fair message from him, and I think he delivers it very well. Uh, and I, I don't mind I don't mind playing a small part in that. I think um, you know I want to see my kids. You know whether they whether my kids move away from Edmonton or not, I can't control that, but. I don't want them to have to move away to do things that mm. that they want to do, right? They can choose to do it. That's fine. Other people will choose to move here, but but I don't want them to feel like their only option is to go to a Toronto or a Vancouver right. or whatever, right? I want them to feel like whatever amazing life they want for themselves, they can have it here in Edmonton. Um, and I think there's a couple of missing pieces to that. I think we still need more uh, economic diversity in our city. Uh, I think we need more different jobs here. Um, uh, I think we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Um, and then I just think we need more, uh, we just need more um, population, more people to come here who who embrace it and who say, let's let's make it a great city. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's all, it all feels possible. It's just a lot of work and just a lot of, a lot of uh, teamwork, really, a lot of teamwork. 
That's a fantastic answer. Actually, probably one of the best I've ever got uh, no. to that question. Not that I ask it to everyone, but uh, and that will certainly give me something to think about as well. Um, so I know you got to get running, Aaron. So again, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, and uh, hope you enjoyed uh, being on and, and said everything that you wanted to say. Yeah, my uh, pleasure, Shane. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. We'll see you later.